You're listening to a podcast of Master Your Finances with me, Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional. Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on 1077thebronc.com. The financial views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this program do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of 1077 The Bronx, Rye University, or Certified Wealth Management and Investment. The material discussed is not designed to provide listeners with individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. Planning your financial future does not have to be overwhelming. 1077 The Bronx presents Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with Certified Wealth Management and Investment. For the next 60 minutes, Kurt and his expert team of financial guests will help to decipher financial terms, navigate market trends, interpret federal and state regulations, and more. So you can make smart decisions with your money to increase your personal wealth. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, focusing on personal financial and small business planning. For more information about all of Certified Wealth Management and Investment services online, it's cwmi.us. Now here's Kurt Baker with this week's edition of Master Your Finances. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Master Your Finances, presented by Certified Wealth Management and Investment. I am Kurt Baker, a Certified Financial Planner Professional, hosting your show today. My office is located in Princeton, New Jersey, and I can be reached through our website, which is www.cwmi.us, or you can call me directly at 609-716-4700. Um, this week, we are pleased to have with us Jennifer Meyer Mahoney, Esquire of the Law Office of Jenner Ma- Jennifer Meyer Mahoney, and she has spent 25 years as a labor and employment attorney in New Jersey. She started her career as Deputy Attorney General with the New Jersey Office of the Attorney General, and then went in-house with the New Jersey Department of Corrections as Labor Counsel, then transferred to the State Parole Board as Labor and Employment Counsel before starting her firm in 2011. Um, She primarily represents small businesses, helping them to prevent or solve problems with their employees and representing them in state and federal court and all the uh, various agencies that deal with labor and employment issues. Um, So there's a little bit been going on lately. We have some federal stuff going on as well as some state stuff going on. So I'm not sure where you want to start, but I know we have some things happening here locally in New Jersey. Maybe we'll start with like kind of the local stuff that's going on in New Jersey. So what kind of changes have kind of been happening in that area? I know it's a little bit of a fluid area. So what do you think? Well, labor and employment law in New Jersey, the only thing constant about it is (laughs) that it changes continually. Mm -hmm. Uh, This administration has passed two new laws this spring. One is the Diane Allen Equal Pay Act. The other is the Paid Sick Leave Act. And then they've started a task force within the Department of Labor looking for misclassified independent contractors and people who are classified as exempt who should not be. So people who you're paying on salary who should actually get minimum wage and overtime. Oh, oh so that has to do with oh, um, exempt employees, not the 1099 thing. I know that happened years ago. Is that involved in that? Well, the 1099 it... is whether it's an independent contractor okay. or a, an, an employee. That's your right. 1099 versus W-2 distinction. Right. They're looking for those. I know that's. I know that came up year when I first moved to New Jersey. That was something that came up with the industry I was in at the time. 
and you almost immediately said, well, based on the, you know, based on their definition, just make everybody W-2. Just keep your life simple. <laughs> so. Well, and that's really what you should be doing. But right. um, as what they call the gig economy has grown, so everybody who is trying to be their own business or trying to do their own thing, whether it's, you know, people who are working through TaskRabbit or folks who are driving for Uber or any of this, they call the gig economy. All the independent contractors who do all of Because employers are constantly trying to push this off as you're independent and, and the government agents are kind of pushing it back saying, hey, no, no, no. Right. If you control like what they say, what, you can tell the definition, yeah. right? Well, it's, it's kind of New Jersey, right? yeah. it, it's... Yeah. Uh, if somebody does what is the core of your business. Mm -hmm. So if you sell widgets, if they make widgets, sell widgets, buy the parts to produce widgets, that's the core of your business. Mm -hmm. Your accountant, your bookkeeper, things like that are not the core of your business. So if they work within the core of your business, you control what time they work, where they work, you provide the equipment, you provide um, direction as to how to get things done, then they are an employee. No ifs, ands, or buts. And there are certain um, industries where by statute you are not an employee. Mm -hmm. So all real estate agents are independent contractors by statute. Right. By definition, they would not fit the definition of independent contractor, but they, they have some they political have, clout, I think. Yeah, they had some political <laughs> clout and they got themselves a statutory exemption. Um, where it gets hazier is people like bookkeepers, accountants, HR professionals, marketing, website, advertising because that's not the core of your business. Then they start looking at whether this person is in fact your employee. Do they have an LLC or a company that they work through? Do they have a website? Do they have business cards? Do they have other clients or are you paying all of the money they're getting? So if you're really the person's only source of income and they're working for you full-time, whether they're within the core of your business or not, the state is going to tell you that they're an employee, not an independent contractor. Yeah, that's interesting. I remember years ago, and I don't know if they still do this, but one of the major financial services companies around here used to take on employees, they would call them contract employees. Like they'd say, well, you're only working for us for like the next 90 days or 120 days, and then they would decide whether or not to renew you. So they would say your contract but it, literally they were coming into the exact same office as the w-2 employees and i believe they lost something a case on that because they said exactly what you said is that they hey you're actually controlling everything that they do and i believe since then they've actually changed that because they thought well because you have a determined contract period then you're not really our employee yeah that doesn't work right it, and I it, think it that works work for, for certain consultants right if you're somebody who does project work you may only be working for this employer for 90 days mm -hmm. but you are const you have your own website you have your own llc 
on the 91st day, you're either going to be out of work or looking for another contract with another mm-hmm. employer. Those folks are, are a place where people fight about it. Right. Um, because where's the line? If they're only working for you for 30 days, it's very clear that they're an independent contractor. 90 days, and you're still pretty clear they're an independent contractor. You get out to 180 or a year, and the state's really not believing that anymore. So, and it kind of, and it kind of makes sense, frankly. So I think that you know they've they've kind of defined that a little closer. So, yeah. So they have a, a task force that's looking into finding people who are misclassifying people who are truly employees as independent contractors. They're also looking at folks who are trying to pay people who really should be paid hourly with overtime as salaried employees. And there's a small incentive for that too, right? Because because salaried people tend to work extra hours, right? To get well, their job done in some cases. Salaried people, yeah. you if they are truly exempt employees work as many hours as it takes to get the job done for a set salary however an hourly employee has to be paid per hour and then for every hour over 40 in the week you have to pay them time and a half so this makes it interesting because you know, the state's looking at it as if these people are truly hourly and suppose they're working an extra 10 hours every week, which is not all that unusual for somebody to have a 50-hour a work week, not a 40. Well, then these people are lo- losing out on basically 15 hours worth of straight pay, and the state is looking losing out on the taxes on all of that. So the state does have an incentive. Yes. They like it when you make more money because they get more revenue too. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so how do, cause I know there's in the, I remember in the past there was kind of like income ranges and things. How do they define, can you tell us a little bit about how they define that now or what are they looking at? Whether I'm hourly, whether I'm salary, what is it, is it the job classification? Is it, how do uh, they determine what's, what, it's what, what you do, what you do. Okay. Um, title doesn't matter so much. Um, they're really looking at what is it that you do. The default is that everybody is hourly and entitled to overtime unless they fall within an exception. So obviously managers fall within an exception. Educated professionals fall within an exception. Clerical and administrative don't well clerical do not fall within an exception administrative do and this is one of the areas where it's really fuzzy and where businesses get caught because they come up with the idea that if you work at a desk and you're doing any kind of clerical or administrative work you're thus exempt but that's not true in order to be an exempt administrative person you have to be able to make decisions mm-hmm set policy, um, bind the employer through contract. It's, you know, the receptionist for the HR department is not exempt, 
the manager or the director of human resources is. Wow. And somewhere in the middle, there are some really fuzzy titles. Yes, that's all. It's all about the middle, right? What, how yeah. do we flow there? Well, wow, Jennifer, that's a lot. You know, it's a lot going on, as we said. So we got a little bit off, but it's actually really important to understand the difference between you know salary and, and hourly employees and how you define those, and then the 1099 as well is like how you whether you control them or not. We'll come back. We have a lot to talk about. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We are talking finances, so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077thebronc and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker here with Jennifer Meyer Mahoney of the law office of Jennifer Meyer Mahoney. And we've been talking uh, labor and employment law and we're going to go over, I guess, some things that are changing here in New Jersey. We talked a little bit in the first segment about making sure you understand whether or not you actually have a W-2 or a 1099 employee, whether you control um, what they do or whether they have control over it and how they're set up, You know, whether they have an LLC or you're paying them directly. So there's some important factors as an employer or, and as an employee to understand what those rules are and, and how you should be getting compensated because that could come back and bite you at some point in time when the IRS, the IRS comes in or the state comes in and starts to analyze this thing. Just make sure you're doing it right from the beginning and really don't play games. It's just not worth it for that couple percentage points one way or the other. You can get, I, I don't know, I, I just think it's uh, silly when people really start playing with this stuff. Just do it the right way and then you won't have any problems, right? So. Yeah, well, the the fines and the penalties and the interest and the attorney's fees to get you out of all of it, um, what they're doing more of to catch this is actually um, unemployment insurance audits mm -hmm. because they want to make sure that the unemployment fund is getting all the money it should get, and it's unemployment audits that catch a lot of folks. And I would not be surprised to see this new task force continue to do things that way. Oh, interesting. So do you, ha do you know how they, what they look for it? Just like who's being paid and how they're being paid? Because I guess that's where like an independent contract, yeah, 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 pay me. I mean, I've heard this, no, pay me 1099, that way I get a bigger check, right? But they don't realize that they have to pay like both halves of the taxes. They, I mean, there are some benefits, you can take write-offs and things like that, but like you don't get employee you're not going to get unemployment benefits unless you, you purchase it. You don't insurance. get unemployment benefits. <laughs> you don't get temporary disability through the state. You mm -hmm. don't get family leave insurance through the state, which are just very small, you know, deductions out of your paycheck. I I don't think any of them exceeds more than $150 a year. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so between the three programs, they might they're pulling less than $500 a year out of your check. And if you do need one of those benefits, they're really important for most people. They yeah. really do help kind of bridge that gap if you got, if you are disabled for a period of time, right? Or if you do have to go on family leave and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So people sometimes are very short-sighted and they don't understand what all that is actually taking care of. So again, play by the rules. It actually works out better for everybody in the long run. Yep. It's much easier. Now, the, the one new piece that is going to give people fits is this Diane Allen Equal Pay Act. Diane Allen. So obviously that's a person, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you were from South Jersey, you would remember that Diane Allen had been a newscaster on Channel 10 News forever. 
And then she left that to go into politics and became a state senator from Burlington County. And she just recently retired. And this was one of her pet projects. And it was named after her because it um, took effect like right after she retired. Oh, okay. So it's honoring her, so to speak, yes. her advocacy for this area. So yeah. What is the Diane Allen? What does this law do? What this law does is that it says that it is now an unlawful employment practice to pay an employee who is a member of any protected class under the New Jersey law against discrimination less compensation or benefits than employees outside the protected class for substantially similar work unless the employer can demonstrate a recognized justification. So now to translate that, that into now? English. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, the New Jersey Law Against Discrimination, the NJLAD, is New Jersey's equivalent of the Title VII. It protects a lot more classifications than Title VII does. Um, Title VII, you've got age, handicap, gender, race, and religion. There are 19 more. Yeah, there are full 24 separate categories, protected classifications in New Jersey. So what it boils down to is that we are all a minority of one. Because absolutely everybody fits into one of these, you know, from age... And it's any age, so it's any not... Any age? That pretty much yeah. covers everybody then. Right. <laughs> it's um, familial status. So um, you prefer to hire people who don't have kids because they can travel, or you prefer to pe hire, hire people who do have kids because they need the job more. It's marital status, if you think that... Um, Married people are more stable and make better employees, or single people are more willing to work all the hours you want. So it, it's, it's a huge range of things. So what it boils down to is that you need to take a look at what you're paying people. And unless you have a good reason for paying them dramatically different amounts, you might need to fix it. Um, and there are, there's a whole group of recognized justifications in the law. So if you have a seniority system, like a union, you come in at step one and you step up through and you get your increment on your anniversary date every year, the civil service system does the same thing. So if you're in a big company and you have something like that going on, or if you're a small contractor, but you hire union help mm -hmm. through the union hall, then that takes care of that. A merit system. Again, this has to be a formal merit system. It's got to have, got to be spelled out in a compensation plan. It has to apply to all the employees within a similar job classification. And it has to be objective standards. Not, ah, uh, I think you've been trying harder than him. No, that doesn't work. Um, so I have one client who has a fantastic system that is absolutely 
anybody challenges him and they're going to get laughed out of court because he hires everybody in at a set rate per hour. And then at the end, and then each week, each pay period rather, at the end of the pay period, they look at your sales numbers. And if you sold X, then you get an additional 10 cents per hour. And if you sold Y, then you get an additional 25 cents an hour. And if you sold, and as it goes up with the higher sales numbers, you get an additional bonus per hour the following pay period. And it's dependent on your sales numbers each pay period. And then at the end of the year, January 1, he sets a new rate for everybody. And that's based on their sales figures throughout the entire prior year. So that's a system that will stand up to anything because it's absolutely objective, black and white, and based on something that makes sense. And I think employees like knowing like what they're being asked to do. Yes. Right? I mean, that's that's one of the that's one of the downsides to kind of this objective thing. Is if you, and they talk about just from a good employer standpoint is if you if you define your goals and define exactly what you want your employees to do mm-hmm. and how they're going to be compensated for their activities, then you're going to actually get them to do the actions that you really want them to do, right? So yes. about sales, if you want them to sell and you're going to pay a little more for sales, great, right? Because I've seen things where people like, you know, they monitor like, uh, I don't know, like surveys, feedback, right? So depending on how that feedback is, you know, they, they give them, they, it's like a constant feedback where they have like a, um, almost like a scorecard system where they say, here's the things we want you to do. And then you get rated on each item. And then they, then they constantly review this yeah. throughout the year. Exactly. Based yeah, on all these metrics. You can pay somebody differently based on education, training, experience, the quantity of work they do or the quality of work that they do. But you have to apply each of these factors reasonably. And when you look at all those factors put together, they have to account for the whole difference between how people are paid. And the factors have to be job related. So you can't evaluate a warehouse guy on customer service. Because he never sees a customer. Yeah, that would be a little unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Assuming they never see a customer, which very few do, I'm sure. You know, similarly, you couldn't, you know, set a a clerical person's wage lower because the clerical person couldn't lift the 50 pounds required to get the higher level in the warehouse. Mm -hmm. The, The factors have to be based on what the person actually does. So this makes so, job descriptions even more important nowadays. You have to yes. be really, really, really careful. Can we get back to that employee handbook, right? A lot of this comes back <laughs> to the basics of the employee handbook. Define, well, define, define what yes, you want everybody to be doing, right? Absolutely. Wow. Um, and then none of the factors can perpetuate a difference based on a protected characteristic. Now, where this is going to get people in trouble is, you know, every time you fill out a job application and they want to know what your salary was at your last job. Mm-hmm. Well, now, there are all kinds of studies that Sherm has done that show that women and people of color are pay- offered less, paid less, 
than white men. So if you're hiring somebody in with 10 years of experience and their prior salary is the result of this sort of in, you know, unconscious bias, or for that matter, some of its conscious mm -hmm. bias from the prior employer, then you are perpetuating a discriminatory basis. So you need to, I keep telling my clients, don't ask people what their prior salary was. Tell them what the job is worth to you. Mm, that makes a lot so, of sense. If you're hiring a receptionist and you're willing to pay between $13 and $15 an hour for a receptionist, then when the person fills out the application and comes in for the interview, you say, this job pays between $13 and $15 an hour. Are you still interested? Rather than looking at what they made before, and saying, well, this person was making $17 an hour and we only pay up to 15, so I'm not even gonna interview them. A, you don't know whether their life situation has mm -hmm. changed and they would take the job at $15 an hour. Uh, or if they're only making 10, the job is not suddenly now only worth 10 50 an hour because you think you can get this cheap. Right, right, right. Because that's where you're perpetuating perhaps discriminatory behavior on the part of the prior employer. Which is the goal of the law, of course, right? So, right. <laughs> so, the so goal of the law is to get everybody paid the same for doing the same work. Which, which makes a lot of sense, but as you say, there's a lot of unconscious things that go on when we hire people and when we have people in the workforce. So hopefully this helps to alter that. We have a lot more to talk about, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. We are talking finances, so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronc and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Master Your Finances. I'm Kurt Baker, Certified Financial Planner Professional, here with Jennifer Meyer Mahoney, Esquire of the Law Office of Jennifer Meyer Mahoney. And we've been talking about labor and employment, which I don't know why, but I find this kind of fascinating and interesting because, um, you know, I've dealt with people on in different aspects of employer. And, and I, I think they spent too much time trying to, like, offload this stuff. And they really, if they just focus on defining all these jobs, I think... I think that the company's more productive as well because you're incentivizing people based on what you really want them to do. And it, it, it's going to take a lot of work up front, I think. But I think once you do it, I actually believe this is going to be more productive, frankly, is what I believe. And the one thing that came to my mind um, when you were describing like all these different uh, ways you can't discriminate against, I mean, in, in our industry, you hear about things like, well, I want to hire away like this salesperson from this company. And so... That they always ask you, anybody in our profession at least, if they're hiring somebody away, they want to know what'd you make, what'd you produce, what'd you do, and that's going to determine how much I'm going to pay you, right? So, well, how, how does that play into all this structure when you get these high, highly compensated people out there? Asking what you produce, what did you bring in for your employer, is absolutely legitimate. I mean, asking somebody what their sales numbers were in a a similar or identical job, absolutely, that's a legitimate so okay. question to ask. 
but asking them how much they were paid could get you in trouble because then you could be perpetuating a a biased pay system that one of your competitors has, and then that could turn around and bite you. Because that's an interesting differential, right? Because different companies will pay, especially people that are producing sales, because sales is always like, that's what runs a company, right? At some level, somebody's got to sell something, otherwise nothing happens, right? So those people tend to be treated a little differently, frankly. Because they're always like, well, I really want to get like Joe or Susie or whoever over here. Let's figure out a way we can bring them in. So when they do that process, they got to be really cautious about what they're asking Susie, right? Mm-hmm. And then how they're composite. Because their, their comp plan might be different than the way they were done before, right? But ultimately, they have to figure out a way to pull them in. Well, yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to hire somebody away, then you have to set up your compensation plan in such a way that it's fair, but it rewards the people who produce. So, you know, a, a typical sales salary, if you set everybody's base the same, or you make their base dependent on the numbers they pro- set the base the same mm-hmm. for year one and then make their base dependent on what they produced last year going forward, and then you have, you know, staggered tiers of commission going up. That's a legitimate non-discriminatory plan. So I guess you, I guess what you're, what I'm thinking out is that I guess you can defend because a lot of this is like transition, right? So because people sales sales is not like some of this is like has a long lead time, like software sales, like to big companies that may take you two three years yeah. to sell like a software structure to a large corporation. So in order for like to sustain that person during this quote sales period, it may take several years before they actually sell something. I guess it's as long as they're not discriminatory, they can they can add like upfront money to them, saying, "Hey, look, we believe in you, so we're going to give you kind of a sign-on bonus." That's what I think of as like some kind of sign-on compensation, because nobody else is getting that obviously because they're already in the system, right? Right. So as long as you somehow match that up with what they're doing, that's what you have to try to do, right? Yeah, you just you need to make sure that what you're doing is based on something logical and reasonable, and job specific salespeople tend to be easy because you can measure exactly how much they've produced hiring an engineer hiring you know a customer service person that's where things get fuzzier and that's where companies are more likely to get in trouble is the fuzzy stuff and managers. Because yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm thinking out loud. So I'm thinking engineering for a minute. So like an engineer is like, well, he, that person's a great engineer. Well, now you have to define what is a great engineer, right? And right. You have to compensate based on that. Well, I know that that person likes all whatever. So now you have to create the metrics in your pay system to say, well, I like the way that person, I don't know, analyzes such and such, right? Not just, I think they're a great person, right? So it's very interesting because, again, you're getting back to that job description and you're actually just defining those things characteristics of your employees that you really want to see and now you're going to pay them based on those actual characteristics so it can no longer be kind of like well i feel good about this person yeah i mean some of the stuff (laughs) i have heard over the years well we're going to give him a bigger raise because he's got a wife and kids at home to support and she you know she's okay and then oh uh, and you know but we all say, oh, God, nobody said that. That doesn't sound good. But 
I've heard that within the oh, last no, year. Little, yeah, I don't like that. I mean, that's forget. So a lot of this stuff that most of us look at each other and say, oh, that doesn't really happen. Nobody needs a law about that. Unfortunately, it does really happen oh, wow. still. Wow, that's a little, yeah, that doesn't sound good. And, you know. Well, I know we also want to talk a little bit about, I guess, some of the paid sick leave stuff has changed yeah, as well. Do you want to, yep. Want to talk um, a little bit about that and how that's now, uh, been changed? If you were in one of about 13 cities. 13 cities? You already had paid sick leave. The city of Trenton has paid sick leave. The city of New Brunswick has paid sick leave. But the legislature passed this spring and the governor signed into law a paid sick leave law that will cover all employees in the state of New Jersey. Now, this goes into effect on October 29th of this year. And it covers all employers in New Jersey and all employees, other than a few exceptions, people covered by collective bargaining agreements, public employees who already have sick leave, and per diem healthcare employees. The hospitals must have a really good lobby. Um, <laughs> per diem, okay. Yeah, those are the only three exceptions. Public employees who already have sick leave, people who are covered by collective bargaining agreement and thus already have sick leave, mm -hmm. and per diem healthcare employees. So you know that the hospital lobby had... Yeah, that's what that sounds like to me. ...had their say <laughs> on this. So people can earn up to 40 hours of paid sick leave in a year. And... They earn it at a rate of one hour for every 30 hours worked. As I said, up to a maximum of 40. For those who didn't already have paid sick leave, the accrual starts on October 29th. Now, people don't get more than 40, can't use more than 40 hours a year, even if they earn more than 40 hours a year. Mm -hmm. Um... The sick leave has to be paid at their normal rate with the same benefits that they usually get. When you get to the, oh, and, and you can't force somebody to take sick leave if they miss a shift for a reason other than being sick or if there's a snow day and you're going to close the office or close the, the work site. You can't make all of them take a sick day. Yeah, that doesn't sound very fair. Now, this is now you mentioned all employees. So if I if I'm an employer with like two employees, it still counts. That's right. Everybody. I just want to everybody because sure that's what I heard. I want to make sure. Sometimes you're exempt if you're under a certain number of employees. Well, this is many everybody. of the the cities you were partially exempt under ten and fully exempt under five, mm -hmm. but the state law no. All employees. So that's that's an important factor. So, wow. So there's a lot going on, um, and we'll uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the last segment. I know there may be some changes on the federal level too. Correct? Is that right or no? So. Um, there are some changes happening at the federal level, but taking away federal protections doesn't. Get rid of the New Jersey well, laws. <laughs> okay, well, we'll talk about that when we come back. Like the, how they how they interact, the federal and the state uh, 
rules, so to speak, and laws. We are talking finances, so you can make informed choices for a better financial future. Missed an episode? Go to 1077thebronc.com and Apple iTunes to download and listen to previous shows. Just look up Master Your Finances. Now back to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment. Exclusively on 1077 The Bronc and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back. You've been listening to Master Your Finances. I am Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional here with Jennifer Meyer Mahoney of the Law Office of Jennifer Meyer Mahoney. And we've been talking about labor and employment law. Uh, we've been touching on a lot of the changes happening here recently in New Jersey, the Diane Allen Equal Pay Act, which puts everybody in a protected class. So basically treat all employees fairly and you'll probably be okay, right? And <laughs> fix any existing pay differentials. And you can't yeah. fix them by taking money away from the higher paid employee. Oh, that's a good point to make. The law actually specifically says that. Okay. That you cannot fix unequal pay you have to by build, taking... Bring people up, not push people down. Is that's that it? Right. Is that the goal? <laughs> so, that's interesting. I guess le- some of the legislator realized how an employer might respond. Well, then I'll just cut everybody down. Like, so. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, that's interesting. So then also the, the Paid Sick Leave Act, which we talked about briefly just a minute ago, and that covers like everybody now. Before it was 13 cities, now everybody's covered under that, right? So even yep. your smaller employer employers have to uh, account for this, correct? And, yes. and permit their employees to have paid sick leave. And you think you said up to 40 hours, I believe, right? Up to 40 hours a year. All right. So that's important. And again... If you haven't done it already, it's coming up, right, in October? That's coming up in October. The Diane Allen Equal Pay Act went into effect Sunday, July 1st. There you go. So that's that's... already in effect. If you don't have your posters up for any of these things, you should be checking the New Jersey Department of Labor's website. The Diane Allen posters are already out. The sick leave posters will be out by October. So put those where everybody can see them, right? You can't hide Um, them in the closet. Can't hide them in the closet. And um, at least with the sick leave, you're going to have to actually give employees a copy of the the sick leave poster and have them sign for it because it has to be personally distributed in addition to being posted. Oh, that's, well, that's actually a good idea. If they actually sign off that they've received it, then they can't say they didn't know about it and they won't. And they'll, then they'll know about the benefits. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. I mean, then they could take advantage of the benefit if they need it. And um, so. I think what I, I mean, what I've seen some in some cases, maybe I don't know if that's happening here, but you'll see like the federal laws may change and then the states kind of respond. So we see any of that going on. Is any of this a result of maybe the feds doing anything or is it just like just New Jersey saying, hey, we need to help people out? Well, um, I think a lot of this is more of a reaction to, of the switch from Chris Christie to Phil Murphy than okay. necessarily what's happening at the federal level. There has been some stuff that has changed in response to the federal level, for example, they dropped the uh, requirement that everybody c- carry health insurance at the federal level, and the state then promptly passed a law that requires everybody to carry at least minimal health insurance. Um, so that does happen. New Jersey has, at least with wage and hour, gotten better. They have the exceptions for or the definitions of exempt employees are now identical to the federal definitions there in fact it's just a site to the federal regulations that define it makes it simple so that you don't have as much of a a 
a disconnect so that person is exempt under the federal law and not under the state law, you still have a disconnect when it comes to independent contractors because New Jersey's rule about who is an independent contractor is more strict than just about anywhere other than California. Um, so when in doubt, you go with the stricter version, I'm assuming. Yeah, right? when in doubt, go with the stricter version because better to stay out of trouble completely than to only be in trouble with one. Right. So what are some of the steps you're taking your like your clients through to, to make sure they're actually being in compliance with those, some of these things? I know we touched on it, but I want to kind of go over that again. Like what steps should they be taking right now? Okay, so the first thing that people need to do is sit down and figure out who you have working for you, exactly what it is they do. And I recommend that my clients who have more than, say, four or five employees actually go ask the employee what it is they do because you'd be amazed how often people have a title that has nothing to do with what they actually do in the business because they've been there forever and what they know how to do or what they've been expected to do has sort of changed over time. So you've got somebody whose title is office manager who's really your controller. Mm. Or you have somebody whose title is secretary who's actually your HR manager. Okay. So, so you need to look at how titles have, what people actually do. Put together a job description. Figure out what you're paying all these people. And then look for um, places where you've got people doing the same or similar jobs who are being paid considerably differently. Now, if there's a $5,000 pay difference and you know one of them's making 110 and the other one's making $115,000 a year, probably not that big a deal. If one of them's making $30,000 a year and one of them's making 35, it's gonna be a big deal because now you've got almost a 20% difference in pay between two people who are doing very similar work. And unless there's a really good reason why this is happening, you could have a plaintiff's attorney get interested in this. Yeah, I was going to ask you, where, at what point is this kind of a trigger, like the differentials? Because I, well, I mean, everybody doesn't make exactly the same, you know, based on all these factors we're talking about. True, but if you've got somebody who is, you know, all right, I'll use an extreme case. I got a call from somebody who is paying their only female minority manager half of what they're paying all the men. That sounds like a problem. That sounds like a huge problem to me. She's making like $50,000 less a year. Now, the damages on this out, Diane Allen Equal Pay Act, it's three times the salary differential. It goes back six years or to the date the person was hired. So $50,000 times three is 150 times six. That's $900,000. That's worth looking at, I guess, right? And now you've got attorney's fees and punitive damages potentially on top of that. Mm -hmm. If you've got differentials of more than 10% that you can't explain, it might be a good idea to fix them. Then it's time to really get dig down and to figure out what's going on, right? Because 
you know, I know everybody likes to put in their handbook that nobody's allowed to discuss what they're paid, but that's a violation of Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. Mm -hmm. So the federal NLRB could actually come in on an unfair practice charge on that, or an employee can bring that into a lawsuit as well. So, you know, you can't tell people that they cannot compare the terms and conditions of their employment. It's going to be interesting to see if this leads to more transparency because some employers do expose all the salaries of everybody and they're like, well, you know, we pay people as we feel they're worth it and this is what everybody makes. And, and this, we may see more of that, right? Because I worked for yeah. state government for 19 plus everybody years. Knew what you made. <laughs> My salary was posted on the internet. <laughs> right. So we might start seeing more <laughs> through of that. Through right? app.com. Yeah. And before that, it was published in the legislative handbook that was published every year. Wow. Wow. People had to go to the state library to find one of those. But my salary from the day I started in state government in 1991 was available to the public. And the world didn't end. No, it doesn't you know, end. The world does not end if you let people know what's going on and if you are a little more transparent. Right. I agree. I Unless agree. you're trying to do something wrong, and then it's going to be a problem. Right. Hopefully you're not trying to do well, thank you, Jennifer. We appreciate you coming on again to talk about some of the updates here with uh, this the Diane Allen uh, Diane Allen Equal Pay Act, as well as the Paid Sick Leave Act. So, bottom line is, I think it's time for you to really relook at um, how you're compensating people, updating your em- employee handbooks, and making sure you're defining how you're paying people, and making you making sure you can defend it if somebody comes in and feels they're not being paid uh, fairly. Um, you've list, been listening to uh, Master Your Finances. Uh, you can reach us at www.cwmi.us or call us directly at 609-716-4700. The Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Master Your Finances. And you can uh, subscribe to this um, to our podcast at www.masteryourfinances.us. Uh, remember, together we can master your finances so you can enjoy financial peace of mind. The financial views and information provided by Master Your Finances and its guests are intended for general informational purposes only. The material discussed is not designed to provide listeners with individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. Always consult your financial planner for professional advice. You've been listening to Master Your Finances with Kurt Baker, a certified financial planner professional with certified wealth management and investment, exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Tune in every Sunday morning at 9 to learn everything you need to know about personal and small business financial planning, including investing, estate planning, insurance, employee benefits, 401k, 43b plans, retirement planning, and more. Missed an episode? Go to 1077 The Bronx to download and listen to previous shows. Master Your Finances is underwritten by Certified Wealth Management and Investment, focusing on personal financial and small business planning. For more information about all of Certified Wealth Management and Investment services online, it's cwmi.us. Be sure to listen every Sunday at 9 to Master Your Finances exclusively on 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com.